0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 24 of Robot Radio, this is Greg Stanwood, I'm here along with Andrew Martin. We just got done watching an interesting uh, game today, which is uh, Sunday the 15th, we saw Ubaldo Jimenez get within one strike of getting his, uh, one Houston street strike, that is, of uh, getting the his 18th of the season, which would take the club lead for most wins in a season, with still seven weeks of the season left to go, and some shenanigans occurred, namely the wind and Clint Barmas misplaying playing a pop fly. And it looks like we're gonna to have to wait at least another six days for that uh for that eighteenth uh, win.
1: Yeah, it was a shame. I mean Street wasn't looking his best, but then again he's also worked three days in a row and in a two in two inning outing last night. Yeah, uh
0: Andrew Fisher pointed out that he's thrown something like fifty five pitches in the past, you know, three days or so. So
1: I, mean, I understand you want I mean, I don't know. I, I as much as I've been a big uh, opponent of Ubaldo having high pitch counts and overworking him for meaningless reasons, this wasn't a, this wasn't a six one game that we're put they're p- dropping him out for. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna totally jump on the it's your ace ride him like a horse kind of mentality, but I would not have been opposed to seeing Ubaldo pitch the complete game today.
0: Yeah, I mean it was. It's a high pitch count in, in general when you look at it, kind of from a you know a complete perspective. 114, I think he was at. But yeah. at the same time, we've seen him go a lot longer than that. So for Ubaldo pitch count, it was kind of more like a little above average, maybe. So and it isn't
1: as. Is I mean, the second half he's had his downs more so than, more than his ups. I mean, well, I can't really say that too. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but point is, he hasn't been up to 115 pitches every single game. He's had a large number of much lower pitch count outings and I think he uh I think this one wouldn't have hurt too bad and it was it was when I wrote about this a couple months back it, I was more complaining about why are we overworking him when we don't need to overwork him we have the game wrapped up when we when, it, when it's a 3 run lead I mean trust the bullpen with a 3 run lead we can handle that but when it's a 2 run game and Milwaukee hasn't been hitting him that well especially with the bottom of the order coming up I I don't know I might have uh I might have risked it today.
0: Yeah, one other thing you always want to look at when that happens is, you know, how did the, how did the opponent, uh, produce off of him in his last inning? And I believe there was one hit in the, in the eighth off of him and then everything else was clean. So. Uh, he didn't look like he was falling apart. I remember there was one Jason Hamill start. It might have been his last one. It might have been two ago. I can't really remember where people were discussing about whether or not it was worth it to keep him in, and, you know, the the main reason not to would have been that he had given up like three hits the previous inning, even though his pitch count was below 100.
1: Yeah, so. when, when you have a guy at a low pitch count like Hamill like that, it's one of those no-win kind of things, as he's always prone to the bad inning, which seems to actually be the story of the Rockies pitching staff this year. It's just one miserable inning that sinks them. Yeah, we've seen uh, Francis
0: fall victim to that. We've seen...
1: Francis... I mean, heck, even Ubaldo's had a couple like that, too, but... When, when we don't, there's one thing I got to speak to the benefit of a guy like Josh Fogg when we had him is, yeah, Josh Fogg was not that great of a pitcher. He was okay. We could do a lot worse with a number five pitcher throwing, you know, 175 innings or whatever. But with Fogg, while he was not good, he wouldn't have a four run inning with six or seven hits and a walk. He would have a one run inning and then a zero and then a one run inning and then a zero and then a two run inning and then a zero and then a zero and, a zero and, a zero and they'd pull him. Or what you know, just whatever they, it would be kind of a trickle and kind of give the team chances to catch up. But when it's like you know a tight game and all of a sudden you're facing that big deficit that could have been you know kind of worked its way into you're. So, I mean, I can't imagine the mentality doesn't change. Mm-hmm. And with, with with the pitching staff this year, I mean, you know, Aaron Cook's problem is obviously more than just you know the tricklers this year. I mean, we've been sticking, I've been sticking up for him a lot, and I know a lot of other people on the website have as well. But it, and. It, it seems that he'll lock it down, and then all of a sudden, every ground ball has eyes. And then once there's two men on, and he suddenly can't find the zone anymore because he can't trust his own sinker. He just hangs a meatball, and somebody laces it for a double. And all of a sudden, this inning just got huge. One actual, you know, legitimately bad hit, and poof, it's he, he, the, the inning has suddenly fallen apart. Um, the same thing just seems to happen with Hamill as well. Is that he, if if he if he's got a low pitch count, but he gave three runs the inning before, to get back to the original point here, is it was that three hits inning before his bad inning, or is he losing it? I mean, is he you know fighting too hard to get the ball across the plate all of a sudden, and. The next inning, is going to have guys teeing off against him. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it's one of those no-win situations. If you pull on him, they say, what the heck? He was only at 82 pitches. How could you do that? But if you leave him in and he suddenly gets shelled, well, you're a moron. Jason Hamill has the bad inning. How could you possibly do that and not realize what Jason Hamill does?
0: Yeah, that's so- kind of the, the the manager's paradox. You are damned if you do and damned if you don't mm-hmm. in a lot of situations. And, uh, uh. True
1: enough. I mean, there's a lot of situations, though, where you just gotta kinda scratch your head and wonder what's going on. And, and again, much I'd love to just harp on Jim Tracy some more, <laughs> and I do have plenty of legitimate reasons to get on this case, but every manager makes those decisions. And, It's funny because every fan base thinks that they got the most idiotic manager in the majors for making that decision. Yep, it's true.
0: Even like Angels fans who, uh, you know, Mike Sosha is one of the most respected managers in the game, and yet I certainly don't see any shortage of comments on their part criticizing him when he makes a mistake.
1: I wonder what happens, uh, how a manager becomes the most respected in the game. How much of that is based on their playing career? Because Jim Tracy never had a good playing career. I think he played a couple years maybe and then kind of went into coaching. Mm-hmm. But a guy like Mike Sosha, he he caught for the Dodgers forever. I mean, he had he had a good long career as a baseball player. Torre had a decent decent career if I recall correctly. Um, yep. uh, Baylor was a good player when he's playing. I know he's on a manager, but you know, same kind of thing. How does right. uh, I, I wonder? And anybody who's listening, if you feel like chiming in on this thing and this. Topic. I uh, the question I'm posing for everyone today is: What makes a manager respected? Is it just World Series rings? Is it just wins and losses? Is it wise in-game decisions? And how much of it is based on the fact that they were a successful player as well? So you can say, "Oh, they know how it's done." I mean, they look at Joe Girardi for example. I mean, played all over the place, but you know, most specifically played with some of those '90s Yankees teams that were just unstoppable. Hmm. So I just think it's an interesting I don't really have an answer right now be but uh it'd be interesting to see how uh, everyone else feels about this.
0: It might be different on on, on sort of a case by case basis. I mean, I'm certainly sure that the uh reputation of a player will carry over into their coaching career to at least some degree, you know, which is why uh you see people on our blog and everywhere really making jokes about, you know, Baylor's hitting approach when he was a player being, you know, passed on to the players at uh, uh, on our current Rockies team as as the hitting coach. And oh, this he, is
1: uh, oh, sorry, I with your thought.
0: Um, well, I was just saying, you know, most of those are jokes, but I'm sure people assume to at least some degree that their their skills as a player will transfer into their skills as a coach and so i i'm i would absolutely agree that that's a factor though in the case of uh you know we have some managers who few but some who haven't played who didn't even reach the major leagues and uh that's sometimes a criticism but at the same time i don't think that people in general let that get in the way of respecting them as a coach either so i th- i think there's a lot of different uh ways that that could be looked at
1: I personally consider it a positive of a guy never made the majors. Not so much. I mean, not, well, I take that back. I don't... I remember listening to some Red Sox fans um, talking about how it was not Jim Rice was the hitting coach back in the, uh, I want to say, like, the the 80s or 90s, somewhere in there. I might be wrong on the dates there, but... Uh, I might even be wrong on the team. I just remember Jim Rice played for the Red Sox, and Jim Rice is also a hitting coach. But uh they were saying the problem with Jim Rice is that he would coach in the fashion of just do what I did mm-hmm. well, Jim not everyone can do what you did which is why I'm so much more of a fan of the guy who uh I almost I don't necessarily want to say the scrappy hitter but the guys who weren't Todd Helton naturally talented the guys who weren't Mark McGuire so they could say they're not coming up from the approach of we'll just do what I did and I'm not li- literally accusing everybody of doing this but uh I'm almost at the. it's like they say if those who can't do teach or coach and uh because they can see what they did wrong and they and they can say oh, you have the talent to do what I could never do this is what I wish I could have done I tried to do this but could not do it but this is the approach that that I was you know that I took and it didn't work it worked for me sometimes but I just wasn't good enough at doing that particular you know action or motion or stance or whatever to make it work for me but you have it so let's see what you can do with it as opposed to uh you know, someone who had a one particular style of play that worked very well for them, where they can just say, "We'll just do what I did.
0: And I think another strength that can come into play when you're talking about a coach and and their rapport with their, their, their subjects, their pupils, is uh, how well can they adjust their own decisions about what to teach them based upon their skill set. And, you know, obviously hitting coaching is diff- a lot different than being a pitching coach, but if you look at Bob Apodaca he doesn't treat all his pitchers the same he knows their strengths and their weaknesses and will meet with them and design you know a an optimal uh optimal mechanics optimal pitches and that sort of thing based upon what he sees in them individually as opposed to having a sort of like general philosophy about oh this is the way pitching should be done and so it that sort of that same sort of uh you know, uh, ideology, if you will, or that same sort of position could be taken towards a hitting coach. And, you know, you would hope that the best hitting coaches would recognize when a player doesn't have a lot of patience. And while you don't want to say, oh, well, don't worry about walking because you can't do it. You want to put a priority on not saying, you know, oh yeah, we need to make you be able to walk every other at bat or something like that, just because that's what I want to see you do.
1: Well, a lot of people will take this and take a look at someone like Ichiro and say, well, you know, if Ichiro just wanted to, he could hit a lot more home runs. Or if Ichiro would just walk more, he'd be, you know, phenomenally good. No, you can't It's just. not his game. We yeah. just can't say, you just can't say if this guy did this because not everyone can just do that. It's like saying if Ian Stewart could just make more contact, he'd be an all-star every year. Well, I hate to say it, but Ian Stewart's not really a contact hitter. That's just the way it is. He's doing – he'll make small adjustments and have moments where he shows – Flashes of being a better contact hitter, but I just don't think he's ever going to really be a contact hitter. Yeah, I'm, he's gonna, he's going to be gripping and ripping and take the walk.
0: That same uh, that same point can be made toward any player. You know, oh, if only Hop was less streaky. You know, if only Barmus didn't swing at everything outside the zone. You know, if only, if only doesn't.
1: We can't we can't just like take an optimal skill set and suddenly magically apply it to this player. Oh well, if Clint Barmus walked more, he'd be what I mean. You know, he'd be a more passable player. Well, the fact is, he doesn't walk more. And with a 24-year-old player, yeah, there's still coachable things we could say about it. So, yeah, Ian Stewart might be able to develop better contact skills. He's still 25 years old. He's got a lot of uh, a lot of learning ahead of him still. But we can't just take the skills that we see in other good players and say, well, this guy could be more like that guy. Well, that player's not that other player. That player is who they are. So either learn to work with it or find a new player.
0: Yeah, and I think in some cases you, f- you find cases where uh – a hitting coach is maybe a little bit improperly blamed for the shortcomings of players who simply can't learn how to, uh, how to do these things. And, you know, I would think that there's, there's ways to potentially tap some sort of unfound power in anybody, you know, obviously, as you just pointed out, it's a lot easier for someone who is younger in their career, still open to learning, haven't haven't located or found themselves yet, and yet, I think it's still reasonable to assume that an older player can uh, can adapt or change an approach, and so I, I I'm not really a fan necessarily of the kind of the the. Um, you can't teach an old dog new tricks kind of mentality, even though I understand that it's kind of a, you know, a reasonable assumption to make in the sense that you don't, you can't completely remold Todd Helton into a new player. Uh, that doesn't mean that he should be, uh, you know, put on, on, on the wall as just being this guy and, uh, uh you know, just just left the, left there to, to kind of simmer in his own reputation. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um
1: well the thing was guys like Helton too, we gotta remember as well that uh Helton's I mean, despite the fact that his career's kind of taking a downturn now, and I should mention right here that in his thirty six August plate appearances, Helton's posting over a thousand OPS. Just so we all realize this, he's back three. Since coming
0: of off the DL, right?
1: I just I'm just looking at his straight August splits. I don't uh, oh, okay. have his off the DL numbers. I'm sure they're slightly better. But um whatever. I mean I'm gonna the point is that he's been doing it well since he got uh got off the D L. I, I still can't even begin to fathom what the issue is if it's if it's his back or whatever. Well let's not get into a Helton thing here. Uh the thing with Todd Helton is that uh um he is a very, very good baseball player. And he's the kind of guy who I have no doubt can adjust his approach, can adjust his swing, can adjust his whatever to suddenly adapt himself to be a better player, mm-hmm. uh, or to adjust to his you know own declining body and suddenly you know just change things around a little bit so maybe he can you know make something work again for him. But uh, not every player is going to be that. I will get, give you the f- point that you know so, a lot of veteran players can make those late career adjustments and find themselves with a couple more productive years, but not everybody is at that level of play where they can make those adjustments. A lot of guys are at the point where they found that one thing that worked and nothing else would work, so... When that you know, thing stops
0: working, they're... They're, they're done. They, yeah.
1: they, they have, they have tapped, they, they tapped into all those options when they were a younger player, and uh, um, now they're kind of like, well, this is what I got, take it or leave it.
0: Yeah. So, are there any other thoughts on uh, on the game or on uh, on the performances of uh, any thoughts on Baylor or some, some such?
1: It's funny yeah. that we mentioned that we we all are harping on how bad we hate Baylor and how Baylor sucks and how Baylor. I'm not. To Steve. <laughs> okay, I'm using "we all" as too general of a colloquialism yeah. there, but uh, we uh, the blanket statements aside, all the complaining about Baylor kind of amuses me because uh, who was our hitting coach last year? Baylor. Really, Don? The same Don Baylor? Did he suddenly change? Um, I, I, something tells me that Don Baylor was playing Weaver ball last year too. I actually but... did.
0: Uh, when somebody a couple weeks ago asked for some comparisons between Cockrell and between Baylor, or rather the the performance of the uh, of the team under the two of them, strikeouts did go up when Baylor got here last year by about three or four percent of at bats, but. You know, that could also be, because 2009 was also the year that, you know, Ian Stewart first got a full season, and Chris Ionetta was here, and, uh, Dexter Fowler, all of whom had, uh, had Carlos reasonably Gonzalez. high, high K numbers. Well, Gonzalez, yeah, though he, he wasn't here the whole season.
1: Well, the, a lot of strikeout guys got more playing time. Right,
0: so I, I, the question becomes, how much does Baylor actually have to do with it, and how much is is just certain players who had a, a a you know a knack for striking out more often just happening to all arrive for full seasons at the same time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't as much. I don't think Baylor's going to be back next year. For I don't think it's necessarily because the team's bats have been floundering so much this year, but more because of the fact that uh, um, he's made it pretty clear he wants to try to manage again. Mm-hmm. And not that I think the team is going to be necessarily slighted by that because. You know Who doesn't want to aspire to something greater? And I don't think anyone can fault anyone for that, but um, it makes it clear that, that, that being our hitting coach may not be the number one thing on his mind, on his wish list. Right. So I, I can't, I mean, for some reason, I just think the team will look elsewhere for a new hitting coach. Maybe just go down to A, or, uh, yeah, you get the idea there. Yeah. Um, as for the game, though, I, I got to say the one, if you didn't watch the game, um, Houston Street had a shaky ninth again, a slap single, a walk, a hit by pitch, bases are loaded with two outs, Corey Hart to the plate, and, and Corey Hart gives him one of those, I'm going to end the game right here, swings, pops it straight up, going to, well, maybe not straight up, but just over to second base, and Barmas has got it, and oh, Barmas doesn't, oh, Barmas has lost it, oh, and it's over his head, he got, he looks like he got a glove on it, but it just bounced off the tip of it, or maybe it just went right over his glove. But uh, we're not sure if he lost in the sun. The wind blew it. What? It, that's what uh... I, I
0: think. It seemed to be that it was windy, and there was some sort of inconsistent uh, spirally pattern to the ball.
1: Because they were, we've seen those, I've seen those spirals, I mean, granted, it's just garbage blowing in the wind, but you've seen the weird spirals that come around cores, where you'll see someone's hot dog wrapper just floating around for a while out there, and granted, a baseball in play is not the same as a hot dog wrapper, but, you know, they're just, they're, they're, there's a chance the wind could have taken The point is, Barmas botches the play, shame, but the runners were going as, as runners should, and two runs score, games tied. They pull straight right there, just saying, you know what, this isn't really your fault,
0: He's been yeah. overworked. He, he you've he's thrown he's, a lot of pitches. Incredibly overworked, yeah.
1: but uh, he's thrown a lot of pitches. we will just get someone out, and then Betancourt comes in and strikes out uh, Ryan Braun. So, uh, yeah, that was that was the end of the ninth, and then uh, the lead off- So Dexter Fowler gets that. Um, let's see, who was that? It was Fowler lead off the inning, right?
0: No, uh, Helton let off the inning as a pinch hitter.
1: Yeah, Helton let off the inning. because he came in in the double switch because they Barmus made the last out in the right.
0: That's right. He was he was uh, defensive replacement, not a pinch hitter. Yeah.
1: But then, uh, so Helton strikes out against Hoffman, and um, Trevor Hoffman. I mean, Trevor Hoffman and Todd Helton is an interesting matchup. They're two veterans, and he's made Todd Helton look silly a lot of times. And uh, he just threw one of those Bugs Bunny changeups. that just suddenly dove in the zone. And Helton was just trying to foul it off to, on the plate, and uh, just swung right over it. So one out there. And Dexter Fowler hits hits a blooper underneath the glove of the first diving first baseman. Goes into right field, but it hits the right field grass and dies. And Fowler, with his you know almost effortless stride, was able to take second base on that. That. Could, I mean, I granted um, Gonzalez got on too, so I mean, runner at second either way. But having the runner on second definitely changed the approach of things, and good on decks for legging that out. Mm-hmm. So I mean, good for Tula for getting up the middle, and then when it went off Weeks' glove, you knew it was he was going to score because if he had just been able to knock it down better, they would have, or at least gotten to it. It might have been an infield single, but they would have had to hold the runner. But yeah. because it went off his glove and slowly trickled, you know, towards center field, there just no getting Dex at that point. He made it in without a slide. So, got to say good on Dex, good on Tulo.
0: And good on the team for not letting the, uh, you know, the, the, the loss of Ubaldo's win, you know, wear them down and coming back and just ensuring that the team got the win. Because, you know, obviously a lot of people were disappointed and dejected that this didn't end up being the uh, the big win for Ubaldo, yeah. but... Uh, as we should point out, the team winning at this point is far more important.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I threw a fit over it. I mean, not not that you lacky Ubaldo win. I mean, I'm sure Eubaldo's a little disappointed about not getting that record set team franchise record setting. He's got, got
0: like between. he's got like eight more starts. Nine yeah, more I starts to do. I
1: there's no doubt in my mind he's going to get 18. He probably can still get to 20.
0: I, I think mean, he will. I think he will get to 20. I think
1: he will, too. But I do believe that Ubaldo is a good, a smart enough guy to know, hey, the team won. That's far more important than me getting a meaningless number.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I would mean, hope it's so. Like it's, it's consistent with his personality. So.
1: Yeah, it, it's not as if his contract's going to magically change next year or something like that. I mean, whether he wins 20 this year or whether he's stuck at 17 for the rest of the season – um. Yeah, it, it's going to be the. He's going to have the same contract for the next four years. So, mm-hmm.
0: here's a so, question for you: ahead. Did you happen to see the? Uh, I, I don't know how much of the game you actually saw. Did you see the uh, all the near collision between Olivo and Mora?
1: I did not. I was having to follow on GameCast for that, so I did not actually uh, figure out what happened.
0: Well, it was it was a little confusing because from the replay, Mora. Looked like he had it all the way he was calling it, and Olivo didn't look like it, but yet Olivo was still there. And then when Mora caught the ball, Olivo looked at him like, that was my ball, dude. Uh,
1: I remember a few uh, months ago where Ayaneta and uh, Mora had that same thing, but on the third base side. And, uh, you know, uh, I think it was was a ball on foul ground, so it ended up being, I mean, I think it ended up, the play ended up going on, and then runs were scored or something tragic like that, and everyone wanted to get on Ayaneta's case for it. Um, these things just happen, and it's strange, I mean, I think it might have happened with Stewart, too, and I'm wondering if our catchers and corner infielders just aren't communicating well enough. Maybe we should should get Tulo in there. He's a ball He's enough of a ball hog.
0: That's the reason I think most of us were confused, because when they showed the replay, it looked like Mora was the only one who was calling it. Uh, and so it was a little strange to see Olivo think that he had the ball, even though he didn't call it. Uh... I, I don't, again, I don't know what happened. Maybe he was calling it and I just couldn't tell, or maybe he couldn't hear Mora or something like that, but. We, we should uh,
1: have every player mic'd up every game.
0: <laughs> oh man. <laughs> we, no, we should have a certain selection of them mic'd up every game. We no, everyone. Have, we should have Jason Hamill mic'd up every game. We should have Dexter Fowler mic'd up every game. We should have Randy Flores mic'd up every game.
1: I want to hear what all the outfielders talk about when it's like a big ground ball start and they don't have anything to do.
0: Yeah, or, or whenever there's a pitching change and they all come together in a little huddle in the middle of the outfield. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious what that's all about.
1: They're, they're playing dice out there or something. <laughs> well,
0: you'd think, you know, just as a baseball perspective, they're probably all talking about like, oh yeah, how are we gonna play this next batter? Well, they're probably not talking about that. No,
1: i can almost guarantee that they they probably yeah. might they might mention it once, like, hey, it looks like Corey Hart's up. Well, they're they, this the, the outfield positioning gets called from the dugout anyway. So yeah, well, and most um, of it,
0: and unless there's some some change or something, is determined pregame anyway. They'll they'll yeah. they'll they'll determine the the. Position players uh, spots for every hitter.
1: I remember last season whenever they'd make a pitching change, and then the infield would come in together and just all four of them stand there watching the pitcher warm up. I always say they're all judging him right now. They're <laughs> quietly judging him.
0: They're like some sort of uh, some sort of inquisitors or something. Exactly.
1: Yeah. That might be pretty funny. But um. oh oh one thing I forgot to mention about the game. We. I, as much as I want to praise Dexter Fowler's. Uh. Um. His. His. Uh, his. his legging the single into a double there. Caught the um, home run. They caught the home run. Yeah. I mean, Houston Street's first ball – So I mean, the first out that he made was a deep fly ball. It wasn't an assured home run, and I might have even bounced off the top of the wall or something I, th- like I think that. it was
0: over. I think it was over just barely, right. it, about a foot over.
1: Yeah, I'm ju- I mean, my point is, is it wasn't a no-doubter that Dexter Fowler jumped up, climbed the wall, and <laughs> made a ridiculous sprawling leap, caught the ball, fell into the fountains. Now, nothing like that. I mean, he made it – He he ran back. And he was tracking the ball, and it looked like he had it. Because when they turn back, it's like, I got this, I got this. And then he jumps and snags the ball out of the air. Just a great grab by Fowler. And Street's got to be thanking his Lucky Charms for uh, for having a guy like Fowler in the outfield. Because, I mean, the kid's a basketball player, too. He's got hops. That, that's a great thing about Fowler is, um, you know, whatever the fielding metrics might say about him, when it's an at-the-wall play, Fowler's probably going to make it if there's a play to be made.
0: I'm still waiting for that play you described, where some player, like, jumps the wall and still manages to catch the ball, like, on the other side of the fence. Does that still count as an out?
1: I'm pretty sure he's leaving the playing surface, so uh, it's not an out. A- it would be a, uh, they'd probably rule it a home run, because the ball left the park. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I'd have to look at the rules for that one. Though, right. But I, can't, I can't imagine that a player would be allowed, well, that's not entirely true either, though, because if a player dives into the stands for a foul ball, well, that's also a foul ball, though.
0: And they're also still in the park.
1: Yeah, exactly, but I'm thinking, like, Gary Matthews Jr., uh, back in 2006, yeah, 2006, where when he was still with Texas, he made that one, like, it, that's one of those catches that's going to be on baseball highlight reels for the, you know, when you talk about, like, all-time plays of the the 2000s, Gary all, Matthews Jr. All, all
0: those lame sports channel shows when they don't have anything else to put on, where it's, like, the top 50 catches ever.
1: Well, You're, you're talking specifically about the best damn sports show, period, which oh, is, okay. uh... <laughs> which was kind of a show. I think it's been canceled now, but after a while, whenever I'd be, you know, watching FSN after a game, and they'd say, coming up next in the best damn sports show, period, another top 50 list. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Do you guys do anything but top 50 lists and then, you know, some girl wearing tight clothes? Because it doesn't seem like they do, which is also why I never watched the show. But, uh, I think John Crook had something to do with that show, too, so that probably didn't help <laughs> things. But, uh, yeah, I mean, great catch by Fowler. I mean, no, not the best we've seen it make, but it was just – it, it was a game-saving – well, yeah, it was a game-saving catch. We'll go ahead and say that. That uh, this,
0: that discussion we were having about uh, catches over – the or outside of the field reminds me of a scene from Angels in the Outfield when the outfielder smashes his glove through the wall and makes the catch oh, on yeah. the other side. Oh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Comes over the ball. Or makes me think of a uh, – um, Major League Two, where I can't remember the, the Japanese player's name, but they're saying, We got this player from the Giants, an outfielder, and they're all like, Oh my gosh, it'd probably making a Barry Bonds joke or something like that, but uh, Oh my gosh, we got an outfielder from the Giants, yeah, the Yomiuri Giants.
0: Uh. What?
1: And this little Japanese guy, and you know, he may, he, during the game, yeah, he, he does scale the wall, stands on top of the wall, catches the ball, and everyone cheers for him. It, it was It was hilarious.
0: Yes, we need more, we need more obscure random plays like that. Although, yeah. of course, the whole reason I enjoy baseball to begin with, above other sports, is every every game feels entirely different from any other game. So.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I forgot who it was, and I might have said this even on his podcast before, but uh, um, some baseball mind. It might have even been Buck O'Neill, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly, but uh, he, that's what I love about baseball. Every time you go to the park, you'll see something new.
0: Now I have to look it up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was... Uh, Go ahead.
0: No, uh, you got it. I, I didn't even... No, I don't. There's there's a lot of quotes with "you'll see something new" in it. So. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. Um, no, it's just another one of those games where I mean, for once, it it seems like we actually took the bad break and we're able to overcome the bad break. And you know, I'm not gonna say this is a sway of momentum because how many corner? Like, it's like Brian wrote the other week. You know how how after you turn too many corners, you're suddenly going back the way you came. Mm. Um. You know, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend this is a maker. It was. It was a must-win series, and we won the series. I will take the daylights out of that. But uh, and I'll take it every day and twice on Sundays.
0: Huh. That's the first time you've <laughs> said that in a while.
1: Yeah, I haven't had a good reason to say it lately. But uh, <laughs> no, it, being able to overcome the ridiculous bad. I mean, honestly, Cliff Barmas, one of our best defensive infielders, if not the best. botches the uber routine play to end the game. These things happen. To end the game and two runs scored and now it's tied? There's just no justice for this team anymore, and yet they still overcame it and won the game. So it's good to see the Rockies overcome adversity in the, in the form of just ridiculous baseball bad luck and just the way the game goes. And it's now- a positive thing to see. I mean,
0: Go ahead.
1: I was just... I mean, I'm not going to... We're not going to make any playoff predictions in this podcast. I know how much you hate them, but <laughs> I mean... Even if even if we don't make the postseason still, it's good to see the Rockies win a couple games like this, so it's not all just, well, the Rockies can never overcome their bad breaks and can't hit with runners in scoring position. We can say yeah, we overcame a few of them. And, of course, mo- some resiliency.
0: Of course most of this team will be, will be back for the next couple of years, too. So yeah. we, we want to see them succeed at any point.
1: I want to see Eric Young succeed at some point here.
0: I'm well I want to see him succeed too. Uh I, well, I want still to see not succeed. Yeah, exactly. That that's that's why I would say that I want to see him succeed but at the same time I am not. I mean I I'm I'm sure you've been able to tell I'm not his biggest fan. Um I would well, rather I see I would rather see someone like Chris Nelson take the second base spot. Oh
1: yeah, well, I I'm not trying to, you know, I, by saying I want I, EYJ to succeed I'm not saying I don't care about Chris Nelson I think Chris Nelson plays a higher caliber game than Eric Young does if I mean just based on scouting and you know prospect uh, what sort of I'm looking for pedigree um, but I mean Eric Young well, we're people like the, the old school mentality of the game versus the new school the new school is grip it rip it hit for extra bases if you strike out that sucks but you know what you'll get it next time walk to get on base and the, the old school is saying you know hit behind the runner and put the ball in play and speed never get takes a day off and stuff like that there's something to be said for both of them cuz we got a lot of big boys in our lineup but the thing is we need some people up there to get the pitchers a little bit off balance for the big boys and I'd like to see Fowler be one of those guys, and I'd like to see Eric Young be one of those guys. And once again, not saying that I don't want to see Chris Nelson do it. I just Eric Young is the fastest guy on the team.
0: Yeah, he's it's, probably the fastest guy in the organization. Well,
1: let me rephrase that. He's the quickest guy on the team. I think in a straight up, in a straight up foot race, forty yard dash, Eyj Eyj beats everybody. But in like you know a much longer run. Like, maybe not much, much longer, but we're talking about running, you know, across the outfield or something. I think Dex might have it just because he has that ridiculous stride of his. But, like, home to first, AYJ, by a long shot. I don't see anyone beating him to first. And, And um, and Troy Rank pointed out on Twitter. Should I go?
0: Yeah.
1: Troy Rank was pointing out on Twitter last night that, uh, well, Eric Young didn't have the best box score-like game, um, he forced guy, made guys hurry throws. He, he, he uh, was able to capitalize on a couple of errors, and, uh, you know, while the Rockies still lost, I mean, even though he didn't have the greatest day as far as statistics go, you know, looking at the microcosm of a single game, he did make a difference in that game. And I'm not guaranteeing that a guy with speed like his could help things, but – or we'll, we'll turn things around or anything like that. But um, I am of the opinion that, yes, I do want the best baseball talent on my team, period. But I do want to make sure that we have kind of a hybridized lineup. You can't just have grip it, rip it, on-base slugging guys. Like a team full of Adam Dunn's probably won't get the job done. Mm-hmm. But that team full of Johnny Herrera's also won't get the job done. And and a lot of the people who will say, I wish we could go back to yesteryear in baseball where everyone is scrappy and fast and bunted and stuff like that. Yeah, that, it has its places sometimes. And I'm not going to pretend that a smartly laid down bunt isn't going to be a good baseball play all the time. I just don't think you should, you know, completely build a team around, you know, you know counting on defensive errors and, you know, keeping everybody on their heels. Because, well, it's a good idea. It's kind of one of those things where we need one run this inning let's put the defense back on their heels because baseball players are all professional elite athletes at what they are doing. They are going to adapt to anything you throw at them, which is why having a hybridized lineup in my opinion and having a bench that is also mixed one of the, in some way, shape or form will get you a good, solid mix. But I'm also saying that we don't want to have guy at the top of the lineup like Eric Young, just because he's fast. If Eric Young can also post a worthy on-base percentage in the leadoff role, yeah, bat him leadoff. Mm-hmm. But I'm also of this strange, bizarre opinion that if Eric Young can't put up an a passable on-base percentage, bat him ninth, so that we, we kind of have him like a leadoff hitter and he'll be hitting in front of decks. But that's, yeah, just, that's... that's what I mean. And it's just sim baseball too. When I, which is where I, uh, you know, experiment with this. But when I have guys who are struggling but they have an excellent glove. There's not a backup who can do a better job than them, and they, you know, they have the wheels. I'll put him in the nine hole and put bat the pitcher eight, just so I can get some around the horn effect there.
0: Of course, with Young, you have some time before he becomes an elite defensive player.
1: I think I think Young is an adequate defender, and I really do not understand where the. I mean, yeah, he's botched a couple of plays. Clint Barmer's botched a good number of plays this year. Tula Whiskey botches plays. Everybody in our team botches plays. It's, it's what. That's why not. There's never been a team with a thousand fielding percentage because everybody makes errors. Well, you
0: you heard about what happened last week at AAA? I take it where he was benched for not hustling.
1: I guess I missed that one. He I guess uh, it's not like Eric Young at all. I bet he got a nasty phone call from his dad.
0: Maybe. Uh, what happened was I happened to be listening to the radio broadcast at the time. Young got three balls hit to him in the inning. He deflected two of them and was so disheartened he didn't even try for the third one. And Ooh. the the Stew Cole came right out and took him out.
1: Good, Good man, man Stu Cole. In there. Good and, man Stu Cole. That's the correct decision right there. And
0: and he benched him for two days too. Um,
1: I, I don't harsh, but it, I bet you anything, it got the point across. Yeah, exactly.
0: And I, and I don't bring that up to say, oh, Ey 2s obviously got a bad attitude. I think it's just a, a case where you know he's not mature enough defensively yeah. to be ready to. I mean. I guess my concerns with Young aren't just oh botch plays, botch plays. He he's he's get, he gets excitable, and he gets finicky with them. And yeah. you know he's uh, he's not comfortable enough yet for me to say, you know, oh a, a, a deflected play that's fine. I trust that you're going to go back and get the next one just fine because he booted three in a row.
1: Yeah, and while that sucks, these things again these things happen. And, and I'm not trying to pretend that Eric Young is an elite defender. I'm not for a second, but I think he can be average.
0: No, I do too, and he's young enough to to make me comfortable that he can be become a uh, a second baseman that is comfortable playing second base. So, you know, I don't think that uh there's necessarily any concern that, uh, you know, we just have to shrug him off as as no. being like this all the time. So, m- m- my being down on Ey2 is not oh, I'm always going to be down on him. I just think, you know, great tools, but I'm not ready to say I really think that he he has earned a yeah. spot as a starting second baseman or as a backup oh, no. second baseman, and, uh, you know, he's got an option year left. So I think that when, d- you know, depending on what happens with Barmas, if he's non-tendered, if he's traded before the end of the season or something, uh, you know, assuming that hole is gone, which we, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know is the case yet. You said you expect him to be non tendered a couple of weeks ago. I'm not quite sure that's going to happen, but th- the case being, we still have Chris Nelson and Herrera yeah. competition and Nelson's more likely to be the starting second baseman and Herrera is more likely to be the utility guy. So.
1: Well, I don't know. I don't even necessarily know about that. I don't think, I mean, given Nelson's injury history and stuff like that, I do think he should be getting a, a legitimate look. But honestly, I mean, like, I, I still stand on board that Barmas will I, – I, I would lay odds. I would probably put a you know couple bucks on it that Barmas will not be a Rocky next year. Not because I hate the guy, not because I have a vendetta against the guy, but just because I don't think they need him anymore. Mm-hmm. He was a good homegrown player. He's had some fun moments. I per, I, I like him personally. I mean, I, I be, because I had the, uh, the benefit of getting to talk to him, I mean, he's a very down-to-earth, humble guy, and he was willing to admit his own failures and stuff like that. And, yeah, that makes for good character, but – you know, I could go out there and say that I suck at baseball and, and, and I'm a good character guy too. Not that Barmist necessarily sucks and yes, of course he would run circles around me, but you see my point. There's only so far character can take you and at some point here we're gonna need to be looking for a more affordable option for the benefit he really provides. Right. Um Herrera's been touted by this you know, by, by well Ringles be just one person, but like uh baseball America and other scouting sources say that uh Herrera is one of our best defensive infielders in the system, mm-hmm. so that projects him perfectly to be a utility guy. And and, and he
0: can play the outfield if he has to. So well, he, I
1: mean, Yeah, yeah, he can. He's. I'd rather keep him as far away from the outfield as I possible. I would, too. I'm
0: just saying that that's another thing working for him as a utility player. You if know? we're
1: convinced that Eric Young is going to be a left field slash second baseman, I think that works in his favor for being... Um, on the 2010 roster, I mean, it, pretend that your situation goes the way you expect it to be, where Chris Nelson is a starting second baseman, which is likely, and this is assuming, of course, that Barmas is not part of the mix. Right. Herrera takes the takes the role that Barmas should be in as the utility guy, where he can spell Tulowitzki, he can spell uh, Nelson, he, and can he can spell be, Stewart, he can spell Stewart. He can be he can play all three. He'll basically be what Jamie Carroll was for us in 2007, and and
0: he'll be what we wanted Melvin Mora to be this year.
1: I, don't think Mel- I think Melvin Moore has been exactly what I expected out of him. Not quite the offensive production, but he's hit lefties and has been able to spell the corners well he's, enough. He's
0: been a, he's been what we expected, but the organization expected him to be able to play every position.
1: I think they've more said that... I think they're more saying, we want you available to play any position, but we don't really expect it. Like, putting him at second, I wasn't a fan, but you take Barmas out after a play like that. Just, it sucks, but you Right, take- no, no, no,
0: that's... In terms of that one play, that's fine. I can understand. I'm thinking more way back to when we signed him, when they said, oh, yeah, the the reason we were attracted to Melvin Mora was because he's very versatile, which I think was a complete mis- misrepresentation of Mora, because even though I like Mora, he'd only played third base for, like, five straight years. Yeah. that he, That's not a versatile player, and I feel like it was some sort of spin to try and make us feel he was more versatile than he actually is. It, he's not it, a disaster. He's not that, an absolute butcher.
1: Well, center field he was.
0: Yeah, but was even, even we knew he wasn't going to be playing center field anywhere.
1: Uh,
0: uh. He, uh, he's been okay. But I, I guess my point is I think they were hoping that he was going to be, you know, the guy we would be able to plug into second base whenever we wanted. And yeah, that, that didn't that didn't turn out to be the case.
1: And what that's what they want they wanted. Well, we were looking at it. The, the purple row was looking at it. Is that we wanted him to be our first and third backup. Right. That was the plan. And then because of the fact that we didn't have an adequate backup second baseman, he kind of became that too. And yeah, kind of a problem there. So, like you're saying, next year you got Nelson. You got if you got Nelson and Herrera playing that starting and backup role, and and uh, both being able to play the entire infield, which is pretty great. Uh, well, we're assuming Nelson could could play third base as well, but he, they've been they've been playing
0: I'd him race. a lot at third base in the minors. So have they? Yeah, I think
1: I think, saying, I think that the idea that Ian Stewart can't hit lefties as uh, is going to catch on a lot more than well, he's twenty five. Given time, I don't think he's ever going to be able to catch up to lefties, and that's just my opinion, not based on very much. But uh, I, I I see him as being a platoon player. But if you if you're the pl- side of the platoon that can hit right-handers, I'll take that. That's not mm. a bad platoon. If you can't hit right-handers, you're a backup player, period. <laughs> because, of like you know what, it's what a three-to-one split of righties to lefties in in major league pitching, something like that.
0: Might even be more.
1: I think it's about seventy-five twenty-five. Are so you
0: in, are you including relievers though? I'm thinking starting rotation.
1: I, I might be thinking starting. I read it somewhere that that like twenty-five point seven or something like that of pitchers are left-handed. It was in that. Uh, uh, someone on the S- on SB Nation wrote a article about just a silly article about you know full moons and and the Tampa Bay Rays. I saw that, yeah. Seeing their name and, and, had to do and, no and how, how close
0: they were to the highway, yeah.
1: Exactly. I haven't no, where no hitters were hit, but uh, um, my point being that I think that they see Nelson as being they see Nelson as Herrera as both being versatile can play anywhere players, but Nelson being more of a starter and Herrera being more of a backup. But even then, I still think that allows room for Eric young jr. Cause if the, if what we have heard, I've heard, we've heard grumblings and mostly it's been from, you know, a couple of people who claim to have insider information on the website saying that Spilly could be gone next season. I, I don't think that'd be the end of the world. I wouldn't be a huge fan, but when we have, if, if they're going to stick with Fowler for sure, and just, you know, make them figure it out. And then you have Gonzalez and Smith that's at least 3 outfielders right there and that can give eric i mean if we're convinced that eric young can play left field which i'm not but i'm kind of trying to fit this projection into the organizational or what we've seen out of the organization so right. far that can give eric young you know reps at second and left based on handedness based on whatever you know and
0: in in fairness Even if we kept Spielborg's, there'd be room, hypothetically, because assuming Hop's gone, we would have an outfield of Smith, Gonzalez, and Fowler somehow arranged in there. Spielborg's as the fourth outfielder, you have still one bench spot because you have your your reserve infielders, and then you can have uh, two uh, reserve outfielders, one of which could be technically Eric Young.
1: And it'll depend if they want to bring in another Giambi type. Who can spell first base and be the big pinch hitting bat off the bench? Or if this, they, this would
0: be the role that Hop would be in if they resign him.
1: That'd be a very expensive bopper off the bench.
0: Well, maybe, but
1: uh, uh, they're turning down his uh, option, and
0: there's still talk that the team is interested in resigning him to play first base. So,
1: worry, yeah, that's. I mean, there's, there's, this is. I just think it's funny how this discussion on who's going to be in the starting at second base has suddenly been affected by two outfielders.
0: Oh, I thought you had more to say. <laughs> no, no, I, I, that, um,
1: that's all it was, just a well, silly fact. Just, it just who became plays second a, base? Are you play left field? Well, do we have an outfield spot? Sure, if Hop and Spilly are gone, we'll have an outfield spot. It
0: just become a hypothetical roster discussion. This is, this is the stuff I think about the most when I think about baseball, so this is always entertaining for me. But – uh um, I, I can see Eric Young fitting in in that role, hypothetically. Of course, at the same time, if that hypothetical roster we just discussed exists, he'd be playing left field a lot more than the second base.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt about it, considering the defensive benefits of Herrera and... Uh, and well, we're, Mostly so, Herrera. Mostly <laughs> Herrera. Nelson is not an elite defender at the infield positions. He's probably about average at best again. Mm-hmm. Maybe slightly above, but I'm not going to you know, sell the farm on his defensive, or not sell the farm, but I'm not going to put money on his defensive caliber. Right. So, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I'm I'm really just hoping that they don't, they make the decisions with their heads and not their hearts, because much I do love Barmas, he just doesn't fit in this team anymore, especially with cost effectiveness and the fact that Herrera can at least do something in the majors. But then again, there's also the possibility, I mean, Barmas may not be good, but there's also the chance that Herrera could kind of revert to, you know, a 600 OPS player who bats 250 and plays elite defense, mm-hmm. which would be much worse than Barmas is. Right. Because even if Barmas is a 700 OPS player who pops up and strikes out way too much, he's still a – uh he can still put up a 700 OPS. Yeah. Which isn't great by any stretch of the imagination. With... But for the worst player on your roster – on your starting roster, yeah. I mean, Fangraphs did a study a couple months back about uh, – the worst player on rosters, and uh, they're saying that just about every team, including winning teams, carried a a player who is worth less than two wins, Um, and and two wins is kind of their benchmark for what an average player is, so once you get below that, you're dealing with guys who have a good glove and a, you know, a suffering bat, or vice versa, who are all, you know, all pinch hit, no, you know, can't defend their position very well. Right. So, of course, I mean, did, the, the did, concept of having an incomplete player who is very one-dimensional being in the starting roster of a competing team is a very realistic thing. It's not I mean, the people who say, you know, a real competing team at the Rockies doesn't carry a guy like Barmas. Yeah, they all do in fact, except for perhaps the Yankees
0: because they can afford everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, um, even the Red Sox, I mean, when they when they when they finally cut Lugo loose, they uh, they're playing I think it was was it no, it was Nick uh was it Nick Green? No, Nick Green was with wasn't Nick Green?
0: Nick Green was with him for a while.
1: I think it was was Nick Green, because I'm I'm mixing him up with uh, shortstop for the Cardinals, uh, Franklin. Is that him? Whatever. You see my point. Most caliber teams will have a one-dimensional, not-that-great player on their roster that gets a lot of at-bats.
0: And, of course, in our situation... Us talk, none, none of us are really thinking of Herrera as the starting second baseman. So yeah. his his are, his yeah. 600 OPS, if it's a 600 OPS, as we're as th- this situation is is highlighting, he would be on the bench and not the uh, not starting second base.
1: Well, that was interesting. So, speaking of uh, speaking of the bench and starting second base, how about the draft? I know you want to talk about that. Yeah, I was
0: actually just going to get to that because we're already running a little over time. So I, hope I just you
1: all enjoy this because we've been ranting and raving and talking.
0: Oh, it's fine. This is what this is what we're here for. <laughs> um,
1: I'm sure people are sick of my voice by now.
0: The uh, draft de- signing deadline the the we're talking about the uh, first year player draft is today, and today being Monday, wink. Uh, um, it is It is at midnight Monday the sixteenth for anyone who is confused about when you are recording or when you are listening to this, in other words, if you 're listening to this, it is probably tonight unless you listen to it on Tuesday, in which case you 're behind the ball and you already know what happened but in other to keep it simple, we have uh, the deadline imposed for us to sign any of the players that we have not yet signed that we took in the draft. This past uh, June, and there are we've signed about 60 percent of our draft picks, maybe a little more. And most of the ones we've signed have already joined either Tri-City or uh, Casper. And so we have a Rocks girl put up a draft signing diary in the fan post if you want to take a look at it. Uh, before all this goes down. But really, the only two names I want to concentrate on are our first-round pick Kyle Parker and our supplemental-round pick Peter Tago, who are both currently unsigned, and both of which uh, have until basically tomorrow night or Monday night or whatever you want to call it to sign a contract with the Rockies. So both of them, as far as I know, are still... It's less likely with Parker now, but Peter Tago, I'll talk about him first, he's pretty much expected to sign. Everybody who has come onto the blog and had information on Tago has suggested that he's not looking to go to college. So, since he, uh, he's been considered a likely sign for quite a while now, and part of the reason that he was, uh, he has not signed yet is because of the slotting system. And I don't know if you know any more about the slotting system than I do. I don't really know a whole lot about it, but in it, in its simplest form, it's certain restrictions have been placed on how much money can be given to players depending on on when they were drafted, and in order for them to get approval to sign for more money than their slot allows, they have to get MLB approval, which from people who have dealt with this process seems to be somewhat of a sort of bureaucratic nightmare, and a lot of times they don't even get permission until the very last minute to do this. So that could be a factor in what's holding him up. I'm not sure if uh, if uh, that's really necessarily the case, but I do expect him to sign. I haven't really seen any evidence that he wouldn't.
1: I wonder if teams ever do uh, kind of under the table moves, and I don't mean literally giving an under the table signing bonus. I just mean more lines of, look, we're having trouble getting the MLB approval for your signing bonus. We're going to give it to you. We're gonna we're gonna give you what we can that they'll allow us to. But uh, you know, rest assured, wink, wink. When you make the wait majors, wink, wink. After your rookie year, wink, wink. You'll, your your rookie pay raise will probably be slightly more than the typical, you know, four thousand, you know, four. But at least you jump them up, like you know. Somewhere between, like, I don't know, I've never seen much higher than, like, a couple dozen thousand above league minimum after your first year. But, uh, you know, wink, wink, we're going to wink, wink, give you this bonus, wink, wink. Uh-huh.
0: It's we're possible. I, uh, I'm i not much of a conspiracy theorist. but I don't
1: I mean it's so much conspiracy, but more like, look, okay, you want to play for us, we want you to play for us. It's just the bureaucracy that we're having trouble with. We want to give you what you want, and we've agreed on this number somehow. We're just having trouble getting through the red tape, so... Let's make it work long term, okay? We'll make it happen. You'll have a slightly nicer car than the other players do and stuff like that. you know
0: so as for as for Kyle parker i mean we it's been a while now since we've seen uh we've seen Kyle Parker commit to it's Clemson, right, yeah, uh to play football, which was kind of his number one sport. He's very talented in both, and he's had coaches from both tell him, "Oh, you can be professional baseball, no, you'll be a professional football player and uh, a lot of people seem to think especially on the baseball side which makes sense that he's more likely to be a good baseball player than a good football player and are hoping that he will come around to that that idea and sign by tomorrow night uh him committing to clemson does not rule out and i mean we we we've known this for a while but i'm just clarifying that it does not rule out him signing he could very easily play football over the winter time And then into the spring, however long the college football season lasts, I have no idea. I don't follow it at all.
1: Usually around around the turn of the new year, you get the bowl games and that's over.
0: Okay, so in that case, he'd be free, in essence, to... I I mean, I don't know what his college commitment would be like. He'd probably have to go to a spring semester or whatever. But he'd be free for most of the summer to come to the Rockies organization and play... uh, play minor league baseball with us next year. So it's not really necessarily a scheduling conflict, but of course there's a whole lot of nightmare stories about how players who commit to dual sports can sometimes, you know, end up ruining their chances at both. And people were saying that Kyle Parker would probably rather, uh, it, point being, if he commits to both, if he commits to football and signs the contract, he's probably going to make a decision one way or the other after a year or two. And what? I, Go ahead.
1: I didn't have it to be intelligent, Dad. Go ahead and keep going. Oh.
0: So, I mean, I don't really have much else to say. I think that Peter Tago is going to sign, and I think that Kyle Parker is probably going to sign. But- I uh,
1: well, The thing with Tago is, I think that Tago, I mean, you can never have too much pitching. And while there's no such thing as a pitching prospect, just based on the goofy name alone, I think he's going to make it better in baseball. Uh, Kyle Parker's too much of a generic name. I'm surprised Seth Smith made it as far as he did. I mean, come on, you've got to have a name like Tulowitzki or, or Deroch or, 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 I don't know, something more ridiculous than that. Fielder. Jimmy Gobble. Jimmy Gobble, that's a good one. He's still uh, in our I mean,
0: organization, by the way. Yes, he, just, he is. He just hasn't played at all because... Well, that's a
1: Bronson Sardinia somewhere down there, a former first-round pick from the Yankees. He's in, like, single-A ball now or maybe double-A.
0: He's in double-A, and he's been fantastic.
1: As he? I remember picking him up, and I had him in the Sim Leagues, and, uh... I remember if he had declared minor league free agency and I picked him up after that, but whatever it was, he made the majors for a playoff run because he was able to post a good on-base percentage and play passable defense and be a good backup outfielder. He's a look. little cold
0: right now. Like, his past couple of weeks, he's been hitting, like, maybe under two fifty, but it's a slump. His his Through the first half of the season and slightly beyond, he was the OPS leader for the organization. Wow. He, Go if, he, if you look at his stats... Uh, specifically, walk to K ratio—it's ridiculous. I—I I don't know if you can bring that up right now, but uh, he—his uh, his on base percentage was improved significantly by the fact that he is not striking out.
1: Uh, well, it's—I guess it's kind of cool to see that the Rockies are able to get a few scrap heap guys, and hopefully he's more than just organizational filler. But I mean, it's he's, not like we have he's too many be- outfield spots. <laughs>
0: He's, Sardine is one of the guys who could uh, presumably... I mean, he he was signed as a minor league free agent. He, uh, therefore, was signed to a one-year contract, unless there were some weird shenanigans that I don't know about. And so he should be eligible for minor league free agency after the season. But he's the kind of guy who, if they have a hole in AAA, they might, especially, which they actually might, because he's an outfielder, and both Matt Miller and Colt Garner are likely to be gone. So they might actually have room to re-sign him. If they can't re sign one of the other guys.
1: Well, so. it looks right here like uh, Sardinia in his, two, his 66 games, 218 at bats. He's batting uh, 303 with a 423 on base and a 546 slugging. He has walked 44 times, struck out 38 times.
0: There you go, more walks than strikeouts.
1: Yay, go Bronson, Sardinia.
0: Yeah, he's, uh, I just brought him up here on baseball reference. He's only had uh, 10 major league games. They were in the 2007 season, and so you know he's in his upper 20s now. He's not out of the range of uh, possible promotion. Uh, he's he's not he's not a, a, a super long shot to make it back. He just needs to uh, you know find a spot in an organization where he can keep doing what he's doing, and you know maybe he can find a reserve outfield spot somewhere.
1: Yeah. But anyways, um, I mean we got on bronze and Sardinia just because we want to talk about silly names, but uh. I don't know back to the real people that we really need to worry about for tomorrow or Monday or whatever day you're listening to this. Um, with, uh, with Parker, I, I don't know, maybe I was, I don't know much about scouting and, and, you know, high school and college players. So I'm definitely not the expert here, but just looking at his numbers, it looks like he had an inflated season or two in college. And, uh, it's the kind of thing that's, that's prone to crashing. I, from what I read that he's not a very good defender in the outfield. And, uh, it doesn't sound like the kind of guy that we really need, frankly, and I'm not trying to say the Rockies booted a pick by any stretch here, because you see I mean, we're clearly making efforts to sign him, but uh if we don't sign him, it's not a bad spot to be in with considering the depths of next year's draft Yeah, that's that comp e- pick.
0: That's exactly what Troy Rank was hinting at the other day. That uh if we if we don't come through and sign him he, he He's not a MatSec-like figure from last draft where we got lucky that he fell to us and we would pull out all the stops to sign him. One hundred percent, which we did now, but,
1: last year, was so great too. I remember I was at the grocery store sitting there, like I had to get my groceries, obviously. I mean, come on, groceries. But I'm sitting there frantically refreshing my phone on Purple. we waiting for it, and suddenly someone goes, "He signed!" And I was like, "Woohoo!" in the check stand, and the guy looked at me like I was insane.
0: I think that was me. I was the first one to to, to post that uh, he signed. I had I was refreshing uh, inside the Rockies all over, just over and over and over again, because I knew it was going to be Ringlesby who broke the story if it was anybody. So I had the message all typed in, ready to post whenever I confirmed it. So, nice. yeah, it was a fun day, but back to Parker. Uh, he, we don't sign him. He decides to play football instead. Uh, it's not, it should not be an extreme disappointment for anybody. It'll save us money. It will, uh, Like you said, his his position in the organization would not be uh, that of a superstar. He wouldn't fly to the head of the the top prospects list, probably not. And he would... uh, He might start at Asheville or some such, but he wouldn't be... He wouldn't be, like, doing what Rex Brothers is doing right now and shooting through the minors. So...
1: Uh, well, so basically, I just—I mean, like, look at the Dodgers in their first round. Do you remember who the Dodgers picked in the first round?
0: I don't remember his name, but I remember that basically they picked somebody who was a long shot to sign. Uh, for, for 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 that pick, it was Travis something, I think.
1: I'm pulling it up, but the point is, the Dodgers have gotten ripped pretty strongly by uh, Zach Lee from uh, from Texas. Exactly. That's right. Exactly.
0: See, Ah. well, no, I, uh, i had confused Zach.
1: Oh, so clever.
0: i had confused Zach with, uh, Lee with Travis Lee, I guess. I knew the name Lee and got that switched up. So their
1: second pick was his right-handed pitcher from Georgia, uh, named Ralston cash. If that guy doesn't make the majors, I don't know how, what kind of name you have to have to make the majors. Ralston cash is an, is an awesome name, but, uh, They're saying exactly he is pretty much going to go play football at LSU. And they're kind of saying, why on earth did the Dodgers sign him? And uh, it sounds kind of like they just picked him, and they're not going to sign him, and they're basically booting the pick for next year's draft. I mean, they're going to make whatever fronts they need to to make it clear that they didn't just boot the pick, but it's pretty much sound like he booted it. There, The Dodgers booted that pick just so they could get the – the Dodgers are pretty clearly saying, like, well, if we don't sign you, you know what? We didn't want to sign you anyway, so good luck. Right. Um, Yeah. If you look specifically here, and this is on, uh, minor league ball, John Sickles wrote, uh, Zach Lee, right-handed pitcher from Texas High School. It is likely that Lee is completely unsignable away from LSU football. According to the conspiracy theory, the Dodgers picked him planning to make a pro-form slot offer, have him rejected, then save the money for the draft next year when the class will be stronger and the McCourt-DeForest proceedings finished. Sometimes conspiracy theories are right. The Dodgers, for their part, say they will go all out to sign him. I've heard them making a couple last-minute dashes at him, but, uh... I really just think it's all for show. They're just kind of, you know, shooting up some flares to say, hey, look, mm-hmm. we're serious.
0: Now, this is a conspiracy theory I can buy into because there's plenty of evidence or reasons why that would actually happen. You know, I've been, I've been defending the disabled list proceedings because I don't believe in those conspiracy theories because I feel like I have ten reasons of evidence why it doesn't make any sense that they'd, they'd put someone like Matt Latos on the DL yeah. just to save innings when they could have optioned him down for free. But uh, yeah, exactly. That's that's a debate for another podcast. We're already at one hour, so
1: yeah. Uh, I hope y'all enjoy it.
0: Um. So unless you have anything else, uh, I can talk about the schedule. There's nothing really exciting to talk about. We're going to L.A. and then we're going to Arizona. More well, road if you games. Ever read
1: the, if you ever read the Dugout before we get completely off there, one of their uh, more recent posts. If if you're not familiar with the Dugout, it's the uh, the the chat room of Major League Baseball. It's just a complete joke, obviously, very silly. It's all uh, AOL chat-speak-inspired stuff, but basically it was uh, Zach Lee calling the Dodgers and uh, Frank McCourt saying, hi, who are you? I'm Zach Lee. You picked me in the first round. You did what now? If you picked me in the first round. They're like, oh, well, we weren't actually going to sign you. What, Do you think something is real? And he goes, but, but my dreams and my hopes. <laughs> and that was the end of it right there. And then Manny Ramirez shows up for some reason.
0: Oh, poor guy.
1: Yeah. Of course, um, it, sounds like
0: he, it sounds like he'd rather play football anyway. So
1: Yeah, exactly. I just thought it was a very funny take on it. So tell us about the schedule, Greg.
0: Well, I pretty much did already. L.A., Arizona, road games. Um, we're going to be facing Kershaw, followed by uh, Kuroda, followed by uh, Ted Lilly. And I don't believe that the starters for the Arizona series have been announced yet. So there's really not a whole lot of exciting stuff to do there, except, you know, the obvious... Boy, it sure would be nice if we could win on the road. And you could also replace that with, boy, it sure would be nice if we could beat the Dodgers. Uh, we still have 12 games left against the Dodgers. They oh. saved all those Dodger games for the last, uh, last seven weeks of the season. So, uh, I mean obviously they 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 aren't ahead of us so or maybe they are ahead of us now. Either way they're not uh they're not up at the top of the division. They're right around where we are. So really all that those'll get us if we if we catch fire against the Dodgers are burying the Dodgers even more than they're already buried. Uh of course the Dodgers are probably hoping since they know that they've owned us over the past couple of years they're probably thinking hey we still have 12 games against the Rockies. That's 12 easy wins right there. Fist pump. Gotcha.
1: <laughs> shakes my fist. So I found the dugout I was talking about. And Zach Lee says, "But what if I do? What do I do if I want to play baseball?" And Frank McCord says, "Well, the first step would be to stop playing football, idiot. The second step would be to show up at next year's draft and try to get on standby." To which Zach Lee says, "Well, what do I tell my family?" And then Frank McCord says that the Dodgers aren't hiring right now, but are always accepting applications. Uh, I look up, kid. I'm sure you'll make it to the majors. The Orioles have like 45 first round picks next year, and I hear they're looking for a point guard. And Zach <laughs> says, but what, a, but what about my dreams? And Frank McCourt says, look, kid, I'm a busy man. I don't have time to hold you by the monobrow and walk you through it. My wife is off somewhere, and then it gets inappropriate from there. That <laughs> well, was then. really funny. But what about my dreams?
0: Well, then we'll leave it at that. Uh, I think that that about wraps everything up. Uh, On behalf of myself and Andrew, we'll see you next week. Take care.